if there is uh, one word uh, that I believe will most likely evoke fear and create feelings of guilt among Christians, among professing Christians, I believe that one word might be the word evangelism. Right? Evangelism. Uh, when we're reminded of the responsibility of evangelism or the opportunity for evangelism, many times we res- uh, express our fear in the form of becoming defensive. Have you ever done that? Uh, well, I haven't been trained, so I, therefore I can't, right? Or it's the responsibility of pastors and missionaries, and so I don't qualify. We become defensive to the responsibility and the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, we might respond to the word evangelism with guilt. And our guilt is met with excuses. Well, I just don't have time. I know I should, but, and then we fill in the blank. What if I evangelized somebody and they became a Mormon? Right, it becomes our excuse, and so we say, well, I better not say anything than say the wrong thing, and, and therefore I'll be quiet about the Lord, and so we offer our excuses. Now, Dr. Bill Bright, who is now in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, believed that the way to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ was to begin to reach the university campuses, and so uh, God led him to begin the ministry, which at that time then was Campus Crusade for Christ, now it's cr- known as Crew. But initially, that ministry began with the heartbeat, with the the commitment of reaching, evangelizing, and discipling the university campuses and students on those campuses. And Bill Bright defined evangelism this way, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results with God. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results of that sharing with God. Last Sunday, today, Lord willing, next week, I want for us to consider what it means for you and I, for people to share Jesus. Last Sunday, we considered the why. Why should we share Jesus Christ with the world? We were reminded that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And we considered there from the parable that we looked in Luke chapter 16 last Sunday, that regardless of our outward circumstances... So regardless of our, of our, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're educated, uneducated, whether we're male, female, white, black, or any other color in between, uh, everyone who is without Jesus Christ, everyone who is without Jesus Christ is perishing. And so that is why you and I who have received the gospel, have heard the gospel, have believed the gospel, you and I are compelled to carry the gospel to the world around us. Everyone, regardless of their outward circumstances, everyone who is without Jesus Christ is perishing. And so today, I want us to consider how. How can anyone rescue the perishing? And I submit to you this morning that the means by which we rescue the perishing is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The means by which we rescue the perishing is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my intent this morning is straightforward. I want to be able to share with you how we might share the gospel clearly, correctly, and confidently. 
I want us to be able to leave this morning knowing what the gospel is and being able to share it clearly, correctly, and confidently with others, right? And so before you leave, we're going to be preparing up and we're going to be practicing. <laughs> did, did I strike fear and terror in the heart? Some of you have done this like Cindy with Campus Crusade. I mean, she, I mean Cindy's just always sharing the gospel, right? Power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results of God. Right? Right, okay. We won't practice, but we will. We will learn how to share the gospel, right? So let's just begin with what is the good news? What is the good news? If we're going to rescue the perishing, we need to know what the gospel is. And the word gospel really uh, comes from the word evangel. We get our English word evangel from the biblical word that is translated most often gospel. And in the language of the Bible, that word gospel that's translated, we get our English word evangel, translated gospel. Uh, the, the main word, the, the verb of that word is angelos, which means to proclaim or to herald, to declare, to announce. And it has a prefix attached to it that means good. To proclaim, announce, herald, declare, good news. Right? And so when it was used in biblical times that when a, a mother gave birth to a child, the father would take the baby out like, a, like Mufasa in Lion King, remember? And he would hold it up and he goes, it's a boy or it's a girl, right? He would evangelize. He would announce the good news. When a king defeated an opposing army, he would send an evangelist back home. And the evangelist would announce, the king has won. He's defeated the army. The evangelist announced good news. And so what is the gospel that we're to be declaring? If we're going to be rescuing the perishing, we need to know what the gospel is. Well, some might say, well, the gospel is just telling people God loves them. The gospel is simply telling people that God loves them. And in and of itself, that is a true statement. But it's not the gospel in its entirety. There are many people today who have heard that God loves them. And are still perishing in their sin. Others might say, well, well, the gospel is that God just wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. And that, again, is true. But it's not the gospel. See, the gospel is God doing something about that which has called, caused all the wreckage and the ruin in this world. He's more than wanting to be Having a, God is more than wanting to have a fraternal relationship with us and just being, you know, the big man upstairs. Oh, the gospel is so much more than that. Others might say, well, well, the gospel is just helping people to live right. You know, in order to be saved, you need to stop doing certain things and you need to start doing other things. But again, that's not the gospel. Without the gospel, none of us can live rightly. You see, to live rightly without understanding and believing the gospel is like telling a drowning man to stop swallowing water. Yes, he needs to stop swallowing water, but he can't stop swallowing water because he's drowning. He needs to be rescued. He needs the gospel. And so what is the gospel? 
And so the bulk of the message this morning is I want to share with you what is the core of the gospel. And then I want to end by looking at Romans 6.23 and sharing a, a simple way that each of us can begin to share the gospel. Say, what is the core of the gospel? We can approach the understanding with the gospel a couple of ways. One way might be to to take a look at our Bibles and every verse that references the gospel, we could read that verse and make a list of what the gospel is and come up with a list. Other way, another way we can approach the study this morning is we can take a look at how is the gospel used by the apostles and the disciples of Jesus Christ. And what was consistent in their gospel presentation. And out of that we can distill the core of the gospel. I submit to you this morning that the core of the gospel is four words, right? You have them up on the screen. God, man, Jesus responds, right? Let's say them together. God, man, Jesus responds, right? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, the apostle Paul begins to lay out his theological theme for his treaties. And it's the, the theme of this book is the gospel. And in these opening verses, I want us to see these four core parts of the gospel. In order for us to understand and embrace what is the gospel, why is this the good news that needs to be announced to everyone who is perishing, we need to take a look at it, right? So let's read God's word, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, and then we'll take a look at closer detail what the scripture has to say. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, writes the apostle Paul, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous, the righteous will live by faith, verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And so let's take a look at these four parts of the gospel this morning and let's try to understand them uh, in basically from these opening verses here. Let's begin with God, right? Number one, God. God created the heaven and earth and is Lord over all. That's the first statement about, about the gospel. God created the heavens and the earth and he is Lord over all. The gospel begins with who God is. If you take a look at the very first word, first verse of this um, epistle, this letter, one Romans chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, notice it says, for the gospel of who? Of God. Right, the gospel begins with God. The gospel is about God. The gospel comes from God. It's the gospel of God. And this is where the scriptures begin. If you and I are going to share the gospel with other people, we need to understand where the gospel begins. always begins with God. The biblical worldview always starts with God, not man. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And this is where the apostle Paul, the disciples, the apostles began. The gospel begins with God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It's not my power. It's not your power. It's not the church's power. It's God's power. The gospel is 
God's power. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I'm not disgraced by the gospel. Paul says, I haven't believed and staked everything on the gospel, and it's found it to be a house of cards. The gospel is not a Ponzi scheme. To put it positively, Paul says, I have complete confidence in the gospel. Paul says, I'm not going to hang my head anyway because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that is certain and true in this world, it's the gospel. Now you and I as believers of Jesus Christ, we need to hold on to this. We live in a world where you and I, where the gospel is not going to be received, the biblical authority is not going to be received or believed or accepted. Um, everyone is going to believe that there's another way to some God. And none of that is true. There's only one thing that is certain and true in this world, and it has to do with the gospel. Because the gospel begins with God. You say, why can we be certain and true of the gospel? Well, look again, verse 20. God is the unseen God. Although God is unseen, he's not unknown. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The unseen God is not the unknown God. Yes, we don't see God, but we can know God as even creation begins to reveal God. And that full revelation of who God is, is in the person of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens, this is exactly where he started when he entered into the city full of idols. If you have your Bibles, turn with me back over to um, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, look at verses 23 to 25. Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 23 to 25. <clears throat> and Paul begins there in verse 23, he says, For I walked around, he said, he's reporting what he's seen in the city of Athens. He says, For I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to this un, to, with, with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul says, you have an idol here, an altar here, that is made to an unknown God. You just want to make sure that you've covered every God, and even of the gods that you don't know, you want to make sure that you've appeased them. And Paul says, let me tell you about this God that you don't know about. Verse 24, look what it says. The God, what did he do? What does it say? Who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, or rather he gives, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need anything from mankind. God's not dependent on anything that he has made. Instead, God is the Lord and creator of everything. He is Lord over all. You say, what does that mean? Well, that ultimately means that you and I, every one of us, are accountable to him. And so notice the second word in that core of the gospel, man, right? What does the core of the gospel have to say about man? We have sinned against God and will be judged we have sinned against God and will be judged. Look again at verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven 
against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Did you notice those two words? Godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness. That mankind, although God has revealed himself in creation, and God has finally completely now revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, we have rejected God as the creator and Lord of everything, and we have lived, attempted to live without him. That is the essence of godlessness. That a godless lifestyle is the rejection of who God is and attempting to live without God. And the result of godlessness is wickedness. We have not only rejected him, but we have rebelled against him. And in so doing, we have acted wickedly. Now we have to understand the effect of this godless wickedness that you and I are guilty of. And the Bible uses two words to describe what godless wickedness leads to. And those two words are sin and transgression. Sin and transgression. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 23. And that idea of sin is simply to miss the mark. And when we're sharing the gospel with people, people, we need to help people understand that, that regardless of how good we might perceive ourselves to be, all of us have missed the mark of God. Many times people object this way. Well, I'm not that bad. In fact, I'm pretty good. I was an altar boy as a kid. I've been faithful to my wife all these years. I serve people. I'm charitable. I give to the poor. Now that I think about it, not only am I not bad, but I'm, I'm pretty good. Certainly my goodness will count for something. And again, we have to help people understand what the scripture says, that all have sinned and come short, not of my neighbor's glory, but, my, but God's glory. And one of the ways that we maybe help people understand that we've come short of God's glory is by asking a question. What do you suppose is the greatest commandment or the most important commandment? How did Jesus answer that question? Got a bunch of murmuring. You guys sound like a bunch of teenagers asked to pick up your room or something. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you say every moment of your life that you have loved God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Yeah, I didn't think so. And that means that you and I, we have come short of God's glory. And the second biblical word to describe godless wickedness is the word transgression. Not only have we come up short of God's glory, but we've transgressed, we've overstepped God's boundaries. Romans chapter 2 verse 1, or not Romans, chapter, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions 
and your sins. And again, we just need to help people understand that we as mankind, we're in need of being rescued. Have you ever lied? We ask diagnostic questions. Have you ever lied? Thou shalt not bear false witness. You have crossed over God's boundary. You've transgressed. Have you ever stolen, cheated, taken something that's not yours? Thou shalt not steal, right? You have transgressed. You have stepped over God's boundaries. Have you ever lusted after another man or woman? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You have transgressed. You have overstepped God's boundaries. And the point is this. Because of our sin, we're under the judgment of God. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed against all wickedness and godlessness. Verse 20. So that you're without excuse. You say, well, Pastor Kevin... This really doesn't sound like good news at all. And you would be correct. If we stopped here. Right? God is the Lord and creator of everything. Man, we have sinned and we have rebelled against God and we are, will be judged. And so we come to the third word of the gospel, the core of the gospel, and that is Jesus, right? God acted in love, or God acted in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. God acted in Jesus Christ from, to save us from our sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And the two words that we need to know under Jesus Christ are substitutionary death, bodily resurrection. Substitutionary death, bodily resurrection. Again, we need to be clear about the gospel. The gospel is not just cleaning up your life and trying to be a better person. No, you and I, we cannot save ourselves because of our sin against God. We're in judgment. We're sitting under judgment from God. And so God acted in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. How did he do that? Romans chapter 4 verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God is not like a lazy janitor who sweeps our sin under the carpet and hopes nobody will notice. God isn't like a, an elderly grandparent sitting in the rocking chair winking, ah, boys will be boys. Let bygones be bygones. Your sin, my sin, can only be paid for by death. And so God did something about our sin. And he gave up his son, Jesus, who died in our place. That's called the substitutionary death. The gospel, four words, Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. But the Christian faith doesn't rest on the fact that Jesus died. The Christian faith rests on the fact that Jesus Christ died and was raised. And so we believe in a bodily resurrection. Because Jesus was raised, God accepted his death on my behalf so that I can be justified. I can be made righteous. 
That's what Romans 4.25 says. He was raised to life for our justification so that we might be made righteous. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And years ago, there was an evangelistic plan that was being taught in many churches called faith, faith evangelism. And the letter for F stood for this. Forgiveness is available for all, but it's not automatic. That forgiveness is available, but it's not automatic, which takes us to the fourth part of the, of the core of the gospel, and that is that there is a response that is required. And then what is that response? We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who goes to church and really tries hard to be a good person. Amen? <laughs> the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who... Who what? Believes. Who believes? Right? Verse 17. This righteousness that from God is revealed is a righteousness that is by faith. You say, how do I remember what faith is? Well, let me give you the five letters of faith. You guys ready? Forsaking all, I trust him. That's what faith is. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's how we believe. And the two words here that we need to be clear about in the gospel is repent and believe. Repent and believe. And again, remember I said at the beginning, we want to just hear how the gospel was shared in the New Testament. Paul wrote about the gospel here in Romans chapter 1, and he outlined the core of the gospel. Listen to how in the book of Acts, how the, the, the New Testament apostles and disciples of Jesus Christ consistently articulated the need that the only way that anyone could ever be saved is by repentance and belief. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. At Pentecost Sunday, Peter's preaching, and he gets to his conclusion of the sermon. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. How? Why? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. That baptism being the outward evidence of the inward belief. Make your belief known by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts chapter 3 verse 19, Peter and John going up to the temple and they meet the man that is crippled and they say, we're not going to give you money, but we're going to give you something else. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And everybody's amazed and Peter and John say, hey, there's an opportunity to preach the gospel. And notice what they said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts chapter 10, Peter's gone up to the house of Cornelius. And he's speaking to Cornelius and he says, all the prophets testified, that's the Old Testament, all the Old Testament prophets testified that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And this was ground-shaking news. Why? Because Cornelius was a Gentile. Everyone, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, Everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins. Paul, on his first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13, 
says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification, that is, a righteousness that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You could never earn and secure this righteousness by being good enough. You need what Martin Luther called an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside of yourself that only comes through Jesus Christ by believing on him. And so this is the gospel, right? God, the creator of heaven and earth, is Lord over everything. Man, if we have sinned against God and we are sit under judgment from God. Um, Jesus Christ, God has done something. He, God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And the, our response is that we must, we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel, right? So you guys good on that? You got the core? You don't have to give a test to be able to leave this morning, all right? I'll stand at the door. I'm going to ask you all, what's the core? Now you got to give me the four words and the four sentences. Here we go. I'm just messing with you. Just, we need to internalize it, though. I am serious about this. We need to internalize. We know what the gospel is. So how do we share the gospel? All right? You guys good? You guys ready for class? You guys not hungry, are you? Some of you are frowning at me. Let me try to do this in five minutes. Romans chapter 6, 23. Can you guys say it with me? Can you guys see this? Let's say it. Let's read it together. For the wages. And so maybe you're with somebody, you're having a conversation, and questions come up about faith, about the Lord Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And you say, let me share with you what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, what it means to have forgiveness of sins, the assurance of heaven. However you want to get into that conversation. <clears throat> we start with the little stick figure, right? And just as every person that God has ever made is a unique person and individual, salvation is always an individual response to who God is. It's not a group thing. It's not, you know, it's not your parents. It's not your church. It's not your spouse. It's not your parents. It's not your kids. It has to be you. The Bible says this about us is that <clears throat> the wages... We just start off by underlining the word wages. And we bring attention to that word wages. All of us have had a job at some time in our life where we've earned a wage, right? We've, we've gone to work. We've, we've offered a service. We've completed a task, and we expected a wage, right? And in the same way, you and I, we're, every single day, we're earning a wage, right? And the Bible says that the wage that we're earning is the wages of sin. The wages of sin. We need to understand it, that what sin is and sin isn't something that you know well just you know a bad feeling I have or or something that I that we need to understand the benchmark the benchmark for sin isn't what somebody else thinks the benchmark of sin isn't what I think the benchmark of sin isn't what society deems what is right acceptable not right or acceptable the benchmark for sin is who God is right and so sin is anything that I say, do, or think that displeases or is against who God is. And so you can, we can spend some time talking about what sin is. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, right? 
that sin always leads to death, and death ultimately is separation. You think of physical death. death is, physical death is a separation from loved ones, from those from the land of the living. And the wages of our sin is death. And the consequences of, of sin ultimately, uh, or, or temporally, is going to be physical death, but ultimately it's going to be separation from God. That you and I, the wages of our sin, is going to leave us separated from God in this world without help, without hope. Alone, away from God, not able to have any kind of help or hope from God. The Bible doesn't stop, though, with the wages of sin is death. The Bible does give us an answer, and it's found out in this word, but, right? And it begins to show us the contrast. And the contrast is this, is that the wages of our sin leads to death. God has a gift, right? A gift is not something that you work for. A gift is not something you earn. A gift is not something you deserve. A gift is something that is freely given, and it must be received the gift that we receive however the gift that is being offered to us is not from ourselves not from our spouse not from our church not from our community is ultimately from God and God does something for us that is completely undeserved he offers us something that is completely undeserved something that you and I could never qualify or merit or earn or deserve for this gift that God is giving to us is the gift of Of eternal life, right? I forgot to underline my words here. Gift of eternal life. Jesus described eternal life this way. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said that uh, eternal life, this is eternal life, that you would know the one true God and his son. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is Living in a personal relationship with God. Eternal life is not just everlasting life, life that goes beyond the grave, but life that is to the fullest lived in relationship with God. But notice how this life comes to us. It's found in Jesus Christ. And you and I, We can't earn the gift. The only thing that we can earn is the wages of death, right? A gift has to be given. The gift of eternal life is only given to us through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and he laid down his life and he gave his life as payment for our sin and God raised him back to life for our salvation. The means by, this, by which we can have this life with God, through God, is by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone could boast. And you could talk here about what faith means, right? Faith is forsaking all. Can you guys read my writing? Isn't that great writing? I failed penmanship class, right, right teachers? I failed my penmanship class. Forsaking all, I trust him. And it's a way that you can begin to uh, share the gospel. Right? The gospel, however, requires a response. And oftentimes, some, 
oftentimes, many times, we can share that information with somebody, but if we don't call for a response, the gospel is never, that crossing that over from knowledge into belief never happens. Does this make sense? If you had to draw, if you had to put yourself in this picture, where would you put yourself? Is now, are you ready now to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And we call people to turn from their sin and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, right? This is the gospel. That was about seven minutes. Let me encourage you guys to begin to internalize this and prepare to ask God, even now, that he would open the doors that we could carry the gospel so we might be people who would rescue the perishing. Maybe you're here this morning and you... um, You've heard the, the gospel before. This isn't new, but you've never turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Where do you put, see yourself in this picture? Which side of the separation are you? The only way to have life is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never turned from your sin to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I call you to do that today.